In Luke 15, Jesus tells us that the prodigal son had a plea, a prayer, that was all rehearsed when he came home. He was pinning, in fact, all his hopes on this prayer that would move his father to save him. Here's his prayer. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now listen again to that prayer. I am no longer worthy to be. I am no longer worthy to be. I want to be named according to what I have done. Give me the name servant. So the prodigal had come home, but the father can hear in his words that he still hasn't learned anything. He doesn't get it. He's still falling from being to becoming, as the whole human race did in Adam. The son left home to make a name for himself, and here he is still trying to name himself after his own life. He's living as an orphan. The son thinks his greatest need is to know what to do. He's saying to his father, instruct me, be my manager. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. The father sees immediately that his son's greatest need is not to know what to do, is to know who he is. His greatest need is not for an instructor, but for a father. The son has been trying to become someone for years. And I believe that describes multitudes of believers in our churches across the body of Christ who've been wandering in a dry place called doing to become. So on hearing this confession, I'm not worthy to be, the father sees that his son is actually blind to who he truly is. He needs to see himself as the father sees him. So he needs a metanoia. He needs an inflection point, doesn't he? He needs, he needs to see as the father sees. And that's why the father immediately dresses him as an esteemed son. In that act, he's declaring, behold, look, open your eyes, see, you are my son. You are my son. See who am I declare you to be. He didn't even ask him to wash up first. I wouldn't put my best robe in somebody covered, and I've been covered in pig. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? There's such an urgency. My God, my son is blind. Be my son. In that act, he's declaring, enough becoming. School's out. Come home to my table and be. Be my son. That act of clothing him is an impartation of sonship. That's a powerful picture of the necessity of the impartation of the Spirit for people's eyes to be opened to see themselves as God sees them. No man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. There can be no true discipleship if there's no impartation of life. So I want to really... Finish by asking how, the how question. How does this happen? How does this impartation of spirit, the spirit of sonship, take place? How are people to have a metanoia, to actually grow up in the life the Father has freely given them, to grow up in Christ? Where does the power come from? For the eyes of men and women to open, to behold, to see themselves as God sees them. And so to rise, to shift from becoming to being. I'll let the Apostle Paul give the answer to that question. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Jesus said it this way, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. True discipleship is more than raising up workers for God, it's raising up sons of God. What fruit of discipleship will be seen across our churches depends on what seed is being sown into their lives. I have found personally that if I keep preaching instructions week by week, month by month, on what our people need to do more or do better for God to become a real Christian, then I end up with the best educated orphans in the kingdom. 
They're always becoming, but never being. They're never found to be drunk in the spirit. Tired and emotional, maybe, but not drunk. But by God's grace and through sheer exhaustion, I finally came to discover something that I could converse with them about that actually began to rise them from becoming into being and restore to them the joy of their salvation. And I'm going to sum it up in three principles. Get your pens out, okay? Three is always a lovely number. I'm going to give you three principles. And if you begin to outwork these principles, you'll find, in fact, that there'll be an outbreak of joy and righteousness and peace in your congregations. Here we go. Number one, preach the gospel. Number two, preach the gospel. (laughs) Number three, preach the gospel. But here's the thing, and I want to finish with this. Preach the gospel as a father, not an instructor. Preach in such a way that they rise or they grow up out of becoming into being. Stop speaking to them of who they could become and start speaking to them of who they are. Stop preaching principles that they need to apply in order to lead a better life for God. Start preaching Christ as their life in God. Stop telling believers they need to become more righteous. Tell them they are righteous even on their worst day, especially on their worst day. Because the most powerful thing you can tell a child is not who they could be, but who they are. If you want to disciple a child of God, don't tell them how they could be righteous. Tell them they are and watch what happens as they are rooted and grounded in that truth. Watch the life of the righteous one grow up in them. Stop preaching the gospel as instruction on what you need to do to reconcile yourself to God. Start preaching the gospel as news, the amazing news that God in Christ has already reconciled you to himself and is now no longer counting your sins against you. So you can now be whom God declares you to be. You can be reconciled to God for the power to be is found in the message of your being, not the message of your doing. It's found in the gospel of God's grace, not the gospel of your obedience. You know, some time ago I was preparing a message and all my messages, I just write down longhand. That's the way my mind works, you know. And I write, and I wrote this little phrase. I was speaking to people about the attributes of God and I said, imagine God saying this to you. And as soon as I wrote those words, I just thought I'd read the Holy Spirit. And I, wow, why doesn't that fly? Have you ever seen some, you say some things and they just fall down, you know? And I said, Lord, what's wrong with saying that? And I read it a couple of times. Imagine God saying this to you. This is what I felt the Holy Spirit said to me. I didn't fill you with my spirit so that you could tell people to imagine me speaking to them. I filled you with my spirit so I could speak to them through you. I filled you with my spirit so that I could call them by their name. To preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit is to tell people who they are because he lives. Not who they could be if they lived long enough and holy enough. That's the unction. Even Jesus said the unction of the Holy Spirit is upon me. I can declare today, 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 today is the day. You see, in a home, a child leaves The table with a full stomach. In a school, a child leaves the table with homework. How are people leaving our churches? The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. For it declares be, not do. Be reconciled to God through Christ. And the power for men and women to be, whom God calls them to be, is actually imparted by the gospel being preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
The most transformational shift can come in the life of a believer, a church, or a movement is the shift that comes from becoming to being. Christ-centric discipleship does not leave believers thinking they could become someone great by doing something great for God. It's actually the impartation of the revelation that the greatest thing in our lives is our being in Christ and his being in us and all that is done by the Spirit, all by the grace of God. To be filled with the Spirit is to see that even on what appears to be the worst day of your life, whether you're the prodigal son standing in rags or Paul and Silas in jail in Philippi, with the whole city going to bed that night saying those guys could not be with God. Look what's happened to them. Or a pastor standing at the end of COVID when half the church hasn't come back feeling a total failure. On that day to know that I am a child of God. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I could not be more blessed today than I am right now because of who I am in him, not because of what I haven't or haven't done for him. That's the Holy Spirit. To be anointed of the Spirit is to see that we're not on our way to a great victory. We're people coming from a great victory. We don't carry advice. We carry news. You know, sometimes I think what's happened really is the churches have become advice centers. And that's where we blend in with all the other centers in the street. There's no difference, except they're serving better coffee than we are. (laughs) We are carried along by the Spirit that causes men to rise from becoming to being, and by such a Spirit we're called and equipped to declare to people words that raise them up too, from being dead to God to being alive to Him. For when we speak, people find themselves in the very presence of God and His life being imparted to them through the good news of what is. Last page. Praise the Lord. This is why we're living in a season where our foundations are being exposed. For we're not called to build on what might be, but on what is. And the church needs to see again that the power of heaven is not found in the excellence of our meetings, but in the foolishness of our message. No wonder Paul wrote to the church, be thee being filled. Because when we speak full of the Spirit of God, people find themselves in the presence of God, not just the promise of God. Jesus himself declared, the Spirit of God is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news. This now is the year of Jubilee. This now is the year of the Lord's favor. We are anointed of the Holy Spirit to be filled with the revelation of what now is, not just what might be, for such a revelation graces us to be more than instructors on morality, but to be fathers who beget children of God through the power of the gospel of God's grace given in Christ. The most powerful discipleship tool in the world is the gospel in the mouth of a spiritual father or mother drawing out and forming the life of their children through conversations. Many of our people have been at the school table long enough. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. That's the gospel. What you've been trying to become in the flesh, the Father has made you to be by the Son and imparts to you by His Spirit. Be filled with the power of the gospel, the grace to see what now is, and draw near the world in that power, that the kingdom of God may draw near them, that they may have a metanoia, an inflection point, a change in everything they've ever seen or believed about the reality of God. But the first place we must draw near with a revelation of what now is, I believe, is our churches. 
Let us draw near them, remembering that Christ did not leave us a platform. He left us a table. Let us invite our people back to the table, the conversation, the communion, the gospel of him who never ate with people on the basis of their lives, but his, and so raised them from people becoming to people being.